Uh, so glad to be here tonight. I'm really excited about this and just overjoyed. You know, this is a topic tonight that we'll be dealing with in, on this subject in this series, Are You Ready? And tonight specifically, when is Jesus coming back? Uh, I've been studying this for just decades and decades I have in this interest. It's been an interest to me uh, ever since I was a young man in, in high school and junior high and so forth. So this is exciting. Uh, so first I just want to say thank you to Pastor Sam for uh, giving me the opportunity tonight here. Uh, really, uh, this is just great to be with you. Pastoral staff, you know, for getting things organized and all that you do. And the tech guys too for helping me out and, and making me look good. I appreciate that. So that's really awesome. In 1978, in February, my grandma and grandpa were out for a ride in the car. And... My grandpa had stopped, he was driving, and he stopped at a stop sign, and there was a two-lane highway in front of him that he had to cross to get back home. 55-mile-an-hour speed limit on that highway. Grandpa pulled out and did not see the semi coming on. The semi plowed into the side of the car, threw the car way off the road, almost into the woods. My grandpa sustained a few minor injuries, some broken bones and so forth, but my grandmother was instantly killed. It was a terrible tragedy for our family, as you can imagine, certainly unexpected. But let me back up just a couple years before that. You see, my grandma and grandpa didn't know Jesus as Savior. They didn't have a relationship with him. They were good, hardworking people from northern Wisconsin. My grandpa owned a dairy farm. They were good people. They went to church. They had pretty decent values. They were just hardworking Americans. But they didn't know Jesus. And then one day in the early 70s, a young guy by the name of Jack Van Impe was a young evangelist, came into town, and when he came into town, he preached an evangelistic message at the local armory. And when he did that, my grandma and grandpa got up, hand in hand, walked down the aisle, and received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Shortly before my grandmother was killed, just a matter of a few years. I will always be grateful to Jack Van Impe for preaching the gospel up in Iron Mountain. I will always be grateful for him, his, his modeling of memorizing scripture, his, uh, his love for the Bible. But that doesn't mean that just because a person happens to be used of God that we necessarily agree with all their theology. It doesn't mean that you're always right in everything on when it comes to the end times. In fact... Mr. Van Impe, who I will see in heaven one day when I get there to join him, and he's probably already met Grandma and Grandpa, will probably have a few jokes to tell about all his predictions about the end times. That didn't quite pan out. In fact, I was very interested in that at a young age, and I remember in high school, I was telling my high school classmates, I said, you better get ready because I've been watching all of these movies. Anybody, you remember any of those movies? You remember The Thief in the Night? Some of those, some of you a little older remember some of those end time movies. I'd been watching the movies. I'd heard all of these speakers. Um, I memorized scripture. My dad was teaching me the Bible and, and we had the books. In fact, I, I got the book here tonight with me, the late, the late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey that was on our shelf as a kid and my dad read and, and uh, this was published in 1970. Uh, by the way, a scholar by the name of Gordon Fee has since said that not a single prediction in that book has panned out. 
He was right. I've read it. <laughs> hmm. But I was telling my friends in high school, you better get ready because the signs are all around and Jesus is coming back. We're not even going to get to graduate from high school before he comes, so you better get ready. Unfortunately, I'm coming up uh, just a couple of years here on my 40th uh, reunion. And I have to eat a few words. Somebody say, whoops. <laughs> so then it began to dawn on me. I was learning all of these Bible verses and I was learning all of, all of this stuff about the end times. And in my 20s, it started to occur to me that either the Bible was wrong or the preachers were wrong. Not the Bible. It started to occur to me that something has got to be wrong with all this because we keep having these end time predictions. They keep telling us when Jesus is going to come back. They keep pointing to these various signs and say, therefore, you know, he's coming next week and so on and so forth. Then it never panned out. And I didn't want to get a bad attitude, but this thing just wasn't working. Can anybody be honest and just say when it doesn't work, you need to admit it and go back to the drawing board. You're just not reading something right here. So I made myself look pretty foolish for several years, and then I began a long, long, long time learning the art of hermeneutics, uh, the art and science of interpretation of scriptures, what that word means, her your hermeneutic is how you interpret. And I began to study this over the years and over the years, and, over the, and I began to understand why things weren't working out. And so tonight, I was going to prepare a message, but the reason I'm telling my story like this is because when I was working on the message, I heard there was a blood moon on Sunday night and Monday night, and I didn't bother preparing the rest of the message because I figure Jesus is coming on Tuesday, and I'm not even going to be here. So I'm sorry. I'm going to have to just wing it. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that. I'm not kidding about the blood moons, though. That really did happen. So I have three points for you tonight, and they are this. When was Jesus coming back? When was he coming back? In other words, the history of predictions of Jesus' return. I want to walk through it with you so you're reminded of what not to do, okay? Then secondly, why didn't Jesus come back on cue? He was supposed to have come back X, Y, Z, just name a date. They've all been predicted, <laughs> seems like. Why didn't that work out? So I want to address that. And of course, I don't have time to go into all the details about it, but I'm going to give you quite a bit tonight, best I can. And then finally, what are the consequences of predicting when he will come back? What happens when we make those predictions and they don't pan out? What are the results? So you're with me? Are you ready to roll? So here we go. When was Jesus coming back? Well, tonight I'm going to give you the date of Jesus' return, and it happens to be in the year of our Lord, 172. That's right. End-time predictions have been happening throughout the complete history of the church. There was a guy named Montanus, who happened to be a Pentecostal, by the way, had a powerful prophecy ministry, and he was predicting that Jesus was going to return in the year 172, that Jerusalem was going to descend from heaven and it was going to come down, and the end would come. Well, that didn't work out. Here we are still quite a bit later. About this time also, most people in the early church period, with a period that we call the church fathers, they believed that the Antichrist was going to appear, and then there would be the return of Jesus, and then a thousand-year millennium. 
And so people were looking for the Antichrist. Well, I have, I have some news for you tonight. Tonight I'm going to reveal to you the Antichrist. Are you ready to see him? Well, I brought the Antichrist with me. And uh, here he is, Emperor Diocletian. He was thought to be the beast in Revelation in chapter 13. In fact, he was a terrible, terrible violent man who persecuted the church and so everybody thought in the years 284 to 305 when he reigned that surely he must be the antichrist but guess what there was another guy just as bad came right after him his name was emperor galerius and so emperor galerius was in 305 to 311 the roman emperor again they figured he must be the second beast and looking at their pictures i could see why maybe someone might think that they look a little, little stone cold up there, don't they? And while I'm, speaking of the, while I'm speaking of the Antichrist, that reminds me of a couple of more Antichrists. Let me show you now the real Antichrist. This is Pope Leo X. And according to Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 1500s, he said that Pope Leo X is the Antichrist. He said the Pope is the real Antichrist who has raised himself over and set himself against Christ. For the Pope will not permit Christians to be saved except by his own power. So Martin Luther obviously didn't, didn't like the Catholic Church too much and wasn't exactly too fond of the Pope. But the Catholic Church and the Popes, not to be outdone, decided who the real Antichrist was. And you know who that turned out to be? That's right, Martin Luther. So turnabout is, is fair play, you know? And so when Pope Hadrian VI came along, the next pope, he said, no, Martin Luther, this guy, who we know as the great reformer of the, in the Protestant church and the founder of what became the Lutheran church ultimately, he was actually the, as the Antichrist. But you know, Luther shouldn't feel bad because Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist too. His name, Ronald Wilson Reagan, all three, all three of his names have six letters, and therefore 666, poor Ronald Reagan must have been the Antichrist. And on top of it, he gets shot but recovers, and therefore he's like the one in Revelation, you know, who goes down and comes up. Anyway, don't feel bad. Uh, but, but if that weren't enough, do you remember George Bush? Not W, but the first George Bush. Well, he was a member of the Trilateral Commission, and so therefore he was part of all of this end time stuff too. I just don't want anybody to feel left out tonight. There's not too many who haven't been the Antichrist at one time or another. Now back to predictions of Jesus' return. That's all related, of course. But in the next one I have for you is a guy named Hippolytus in the year AD 496. And he believed that Christ would establish the millennium, millennial kingdom in the year 496. Now he himself lived in the early third century. So he was looking out over about 200 years and he said, we got 200 years left and this is going to be wrapped up. How did he know that? Well, what he did is he figured out when the one creation took place and he figured there had to be a total of 6,000 years between creation and the return of Christ. And then another thousand years for the millennium. So he took, it, he took the uh, time of creation, so he thought, added 6,000 years, and voila, 496 was the date. Therefore, another couple hundred years, Jesus was going to come back. 
Actually, there's another guy named the Lactantius at the same time who made a similar prediction. Later on in the 1700s, there's a guy by the name of Cotton Mather, ever heard of him? In New England, the Puritan preacher. And he also believed that New England would be the place where the millennial kingdom would come. Many of the people at that time who were coming over on the, you know, on the ships and immigrating into the, into the United States, and at that time, of course, not even a country yet, into the colonies, they believed that God was going to establish the millennium in the United States, and this would be the kingdom. In fact, under the great revivals of Jonathan Edwards, they were more and more convinced that the millennial kingdom was about to begin. And then we had another series of revivals a little further along in the 1800s, and they thought for sure Jesus must be going to come and establish his kingdom here in America now. At that time, they held to a view called post-millennialism, and they believed that we would win the whole world to Jesus. And then after we Christianized the whole world, then Jesus would come back for his people and would reign. That obviously didn't pan out so well either. And it, that, that view was going great guns, and it just resulted in all kinds of missionary work. And then you know what happened? The Civil War. Once we had a civil war, they went, uh, maybe our theology is kind of messed up because we're not exactly getting any better. And then on top of it, you had World War I. Uh, we're not exactly, that's not working out either. And we had World War II, and oh, it's still not working out. So that view kind of bit the dust, with the exception of a few charismatics and a, and a few folks today who still hold that we're going to actually win the whole world and bring them in. I think that's a pretty optimistic view to say the least. All right, how about the 1800s? Let's do a couple more here. Do you mind? Good, we're going to do it anyway. Um, William Miller, he believed that Jesus was going to come back in 1843 or 44. Now he was a farmer in the United States and he was basically a good guy, just a little misguided. So what he did is he went to the book of Daniel, and he saw there that it said in Daniel there would be 2,300 days. Well, he figured those days must be years. And he figured those years must start from the time that the wall was rebuilt around Jerusalem in 457 B.C., or thereabouts. So he took 457, added 2,300, and he came out with the dates 1843 to 44. Somewhere in that one year period, Jesus is going to come back. Well, just to add to it all, wouldn't you know 10 years before the date when Jesus is supposed to come, we get a meteor shower. Everybody, oh no, look at the meteor shower, Jesus is coming. And then on top of it, right at the time, 1843, when these predictions of his are supposed to come to pass, then an asteroid comes near Earth, and now everybody's really excited because we got asteroids on top of this prediction. These people were known as the Millerites, his followers. Now remember, at that time in America, we didn't have, of course, all of the modern-day technology that we have now here, you know, to be able to spread the word and America wasn't anywhere near as big as it is now. But at that time, about one million people followed Miller, call them Millerites, thinking Jesus was coming in the 1840s. Well, you probably can guess what happened, because if you've done this as long as I have, you already know. Here's what happened. Um, actually, the rapture did come. The, the good news is, is that they were right. The bad news is we all missed it. 
Um, but in any event, no, the date came and it passed. And then he said, oh, wait a minute. I was off by a little bit. Actually, it's supposed to be October 22nd, 1844. That day came, it passed, and he said, uh, just kidding, whoops. And his followers didn't know what to do, so they said, well, actually, Jesus did come, but he came spiritually, not physically. Jehovah's Witnesses did the same thing in the early 1900s. They predicted Jesus was coming, and then they, when he didn't show on, on cue, they said, um, actually, he came spiritually. You just couldn't see him. These are some real games sometimes that we have to deal with here in history. But a small group, what do you do when your predictions don't pan out, and everybody's discouraged, and we're sad because we were so excited about Jesus coming? You know what we're going to do? We're going to figure out why he didn't really come. And so they concluded the reason Jesus didn't come on cue was because they weren't properly obeying the Sabbath. Oh, so if we'd been keeping the Sabbath properly, Jesus would have come. Well, yeah. So maybe we need to just keep the Sabbath, which means we need to go back to worshiping on Saturday, which is the real Sabbath. Yeah, that's what they decided. So when all else fails, what do you do? Form a new denomination. And today, that denomination is known as the Seventh-day Adventists. It's amazing when you look at the history of what develops when people make predictions about Jesus coming, and it doesn't pan out. Well, you've heard of some of these. Some of you who are a little younger probably, probably are not familiar with what happened in 1988, but I remember it well. In 1988, there was a fellow by the name of Edgar Wisenant who wrote a book called 88 Reasons, and it was really just a kind of a pamphlet, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Could Be in 1988. I was in seminary at the time, and we were all discussing it and so forth, and same, same thing. First of all, he said because of the feast Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah uh, that Jesus has got to come during that Jewish feast time, and because Israel became a nation in May 14th, 1948, that Jesus has got to come within 40 years, a generation of 1948. And so he calculated 48 plus 40 means 88, right? So he's got to come in 1988, because the Bible says this generation will not pass away until all things are fulfilled. So that means Jesus must be going to come back by 1988. Well, here we are yet. It didn't pan out. How come? I'd like to talk about that in a few minutes. Well, I've just given you a few examples here, but when he didn't come in September on cue, he said, well, maybe it's supposed to be in October, October 3rd, and then when he didn't come in 1988, October 3rd, he said, well, you know what? Um, actually, a few more weeks yet, and of course, here we are. And some of you can, who are younger too can remember more recently, Y2K. That was going to be the end of the world. 2012, because of the Mayan calendar, Jesus was supposed to come in 2012. 2014 and 15, there were a series of blood moons. And consequently, because of those blood moons, Jesus got to come in 2014, 15, or, there, or right thereafter. Now, I just, I just Googled it for the fun of it. And the next time that Jesus is coming, one of them is 2028, because Jesus has to come exactly 2,000 years after he was crucified. Where does the Bible teach that? It doesn't, but that's beside the point. 
I could go on literally all night. I have books, magazines, that go through all of these things and list them. A person could get a really bad attitude if you did nothing but look at all of the bad predictions. I don't want you to do that though. So just hang with me tonight, okay? What I first want to do is I want to help you understand why it hasn't worked out the way that it was thought that it would. So let's go to number two. Why didn't Jesus come back on cue? Why didn't he? I want to give you just a, a handful of reasons tonight. Okay, so stay with me. Here's number one. Here's why Jesus didn't come back on cue. Because of an explaining away of the Bible's plain statements. Not an explaining, an explaining away of the Bible's plain statements. Just for the fun of it, how about if we read the Bible? That sound like a good idea? We're going to church here, let's do it. This is Matthew chapter 24. I'm drawing from verse 36, 42, and 44 in the ESV. And it says this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the, your Lord is coming. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That is about as plain as it gets, church. Anytime somebody is setting dates, you need to say, no, we've gone off the track here. You have, you have the Bible and Jesus' permission to stop listening right at that point. Someone say amen. So, but we get clever in Christianity sometimes, don't we? And we say, well, we may not know the day, but we know the season. First of all, the idea in the text is this, is this is a way of saying you don't know when he's coming, period. That's the point. Secondly, you do not know the season either. Well, I've been told my whole life that I'm supposed to know the season. Well, maybe you should try the Bible. Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. This seems pretty plain to me. I think we need to stop playing games with plain statements in Scripture and go with what Jesus says rather than trying to satisfy our curiosity about things we don't know about. So here it is. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, thinking about the end coming in their, their view, although their view of the end is a little warped. But are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons. Somebody say seasons. You said that we don't know the day, but we know the season. This says you don't know the season. Let's not play games with the Bible, church. Amen. Concerning times and seasons, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 2. Actually, I should finish the rest of that verse in verse 6 and 7 in Acts. He said to them, it is not for you to know 
times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. My Acts students know verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Stop predicting dates and worrying about dates. Stop worrying about that. And get busy preaching the word under the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a planet that needs to come to Jesus. Some people, their religion is end time things. All they do is want to know about the newest, latest, greatest thing in the paper that they believe is a clear sign of the end times when they should be instead of reading that paper and reading those things trying to figure out how that fits in and trying to figure, treat the Bible like it's some sort of jigsaw puzzle of the end. They need to get busy and they need to help out with some of the ministries here. They need to get busy telling people about Jesus because the only thing we're taking with us when he comes are souls. Hallelujah. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 2 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, we could say, all are implied. You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In other words, it's going to be a surprise. Now you and I won't be surprised in the sense that we're ready. But we will be surprised in the sense that we don't know when it will happen. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. You have to ignore some really plain scriptures to make excuses for predicting dates and trying to convince Jesus that you know when he's coming. Let me give you a second reason why Jesus didn't come back on cue. Because of a mistaken notion of the purpose of biblical prophecy. What is biblical prophecy? What is it there for anyway? Let me start with what it's not there for. It's not there to satisfy curiosity and feed end time obsessions. You know, I, this is really sad to me, but I, I know of people in the body of Christ who study the end times and all, they read all the books and everything, and, and I'm glad for their, their hunger for that, but that becomes like their religion. And you can't tell them anything different because they're so obsessed with such and such teachings, they got it right. So they think, and then of course they have to make excuses every time it goes wrong. We need to depart from that immature approach to things. And we need to just get back to focusing on the mission. And so people get so obsessed with that, they think that what the, what the Bible prophecy is all about is just feeding our curiosity and our obsession. Sometimes they think the purpose of the biblical prophetic text is to give us a set timeline of every event that's going to happen in the, in the end times. But the purpose of biblical prophecy is to exalt Jesus as the king who's coming in justice. To cause us to have hope that justice will come. To cause us to hope that our savior will come. 
to encourage us when we're going through difficulties that Jesus is coming and what you're going through right now isn't going to last forever. You can hold on to him because he's coming. That's what this is all about. Not trying to give you a list of end time events in order. Let's mature in this. Let me give you an example. How many of you heard of the book of Revelation of the seven seals? Okay, lots of you. How about the seven trumpets? Seven bowls. Okay, thank you. How many of you could tell me about the seven thunders? Oh. I think we need to go back and read Revelation. Let me read it for you. Seven thunders, Revelation chapter 10, verse 3. He called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. There they are. Black and white, how about that? And when the seven thund thund thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. What? There's a whole nother set? Yes, there is. And what do you know about it? Nothing. Brothers and sisters, not every detail of the end times is recorded in Revelation. There are things, even if you read that book in that way, which is not how I read it exactly, but even if you read that book thinking like it's some kind of timeline, I got news for you. There's stuff missing that you and I are not permitted to know. That ought to be enough to humble us all right there when it comes to us thinking we've got it all figured out because we don't know it all. Yes, the purpose is to exalt Jesus. And you know the great verse in Revelation, I believe it's 21, it says God will wipe away all their tears. What kind of tears are those anyway? Well, there's all kinds of tears, but the tears there are the tears of persecution and suffering because of the opposition of a world that doesn't submit to Jesus. And he is encouraging the churches at that time saying, the day will come where all the hardships you face as a believer are going to be wiped away and Jesus will rescue you. Oh, that's good news, isn't it? You know what Revelation is ultimately about? The triumph of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wins, and we're going to be with him. It's not supposed to scare you. It's not supposed to make you try to figure out the timeline of every event. It's supposed to encourage you that in the end, Jesus wins, and we get to share in his victory. Woo! That makes me excited. And it's a whole lot more fun reading the Bible that way than trying to figure out all the things that I, I just can't figure out anyway. Let me give you a number three. Why did Jesus not come back on cue? Number three is because of, because of equating the notes in your study Bible with the biblical text. Or equating the TV preacher with the Bible or equating some book with the Bible you know how many books I have on the end times I couldn't stretch out my hands wide enough right now to put them all in there I have a lot of books on this a lot of books those books though as much as I appreciate them are not the Bible 
They are not God's word. They are man's opinions about God's word. Sometimes when people read certain study notes and so forth in their Bibles, they think that those notes are as, as inspired as the biblical text, but they're not. They're someone's opinion and understanding of the text. A couple of the Bibles that have been really influential over the years are like, for example, the Schofield Reference Bible from 1909, which was revised in 1967. It's full of end time notes. But did you know that if you go by the notes in that Bible, those notes, that theological system will teach you that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. You can't believe everything in the notes. There's another influential text called the Dake Annotated Reference Bible. It came out in 1963. If you believe all the notes in there, you'll, you're going to come to the conclusion that some races are inferior to other races. That's not good. That's not good at all, amen? I mean, we are all in the image of God equally. So you can't go by the notes. The biblical text is inspired, not someone's ideas. The biblical text is inspired, not somebody on a TV set. The biblical text is inspired, not somebody's books. Some people, just because they're on TV, you think that automatically they must really know what they're talking about. But I got to tell you, I was on TV an awful lot years ago. That should be proof right there. They'll put anybody on TV. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to know anything. You just have to be available, I guess. I don't know. But church, are you hearing my heart tonight? It's the biblical text that is the word of God. Not a man's opinion. I wish every one of you, if you don't already have one, would go out and get a great study Bible. I appreciate the contributions of my brothers and sisters of Christ. But that doesn't mean that everything they say is the word of God. And I especially would hope that every time you read a book of the Bible, you would take that study, study Bible and you would go through the, the notes at the beginning and read about the historical background of the Bible book so that you understand what the book is all about and you'd be light years ahead in understanding the Bible. So I'm all for that. I just can't put that ahead of the biblical text. Let me give you number four. Why is it that Jesus did not come back on cue? Because of the application of a faulty lens when reading scripture. It's like putting on a pair of dark sunglasses where you can hardly see and, and you're inside in low light and you're trying to read the Bible and you have to read everything through this lens. And what we all do to some extent or another, whether we know it or not, is we all have lenses we bring with us when we read. None of us are totally and completely 100% objective when we read the Bible. We're influenced by our culture. We're influenced by our upbringing. We're influenced by, by whatever is going on around us, things we were taught, etc. But there are certain lenses that really warp our understanding of the Bible when it comes to the end times. And I'm just going to give you a couple of them. First one, first lens is an amerocentric lens. What I mean by that is... For some odd reason, it never occurs to people that there are over 7 billion people on the planet and they don't all live in America. And when people read the Bible, they think that all the end time prophecies 
are about me right now in America. But there's a whole planet out there, folks. And you say, yeah, but this country is going to pot. Some of you feel like it's just, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And let's just suppose it is. And, and even if it is, I want you to know there's been a mighty revival in Africa. And I want you to know there's been a mighty revival in Asia. And I want you to know there's been a mighty revival in South America. And that God is moving by his spirit on this planet. And I'm not arguing that it's all getting better by any means. But what I'm saying is, you can't read the Bible and think that every line in the book of Revelation is about you. Let me give you a couple of examples. Some people say, see there, there's an eagle in the book of Revelation. That's America. Help me, Jesus. Tonight, Jesus, just help me tonight. Just trying to maintain my composure here. Never occurs to them that that was related to the original context of the Roman Empire. I was watching TV one night and I was watching a, one of these Christian TV shows. I don't often get a chance to do that, but this was years ago and 9-11 had just happened. And they said, that's prophesied in the Bible. And I'm like, well, they had my attention. I'm like, what's coming next? And then they proceeded to say, see, it says back there in the book of Isaiah that the, that the towers will come down. I'm like, what in the world? are you talking about? And they took the book of Isaiah talking about towers that are like on the corner of their, you know, when they would build a wall around a city and they would have watchtowers on the corner. It's talking about that and they're taking that and they're applying it to the towers in New York City. And I'm like, dude, where did you get that from? <sighs> wow. Everybody understand what I mean now. Let's watch our lenses. There was an audience there 2,000 years ago that could understand that message. We need to think about how they saw that. I'll give you a couple more of these lenses. The super spiritualizing approach to the Bible. The seven churches in Revelation have to symbolize seven periods of time. And history has to be a total of 7,000 years. Where does the Bible say that? It doesn't. That's been imposed on the text. But people keep doing it. It's been happening all the way back since Hippolytus that I talked about earlier on. And so, you know why the seven churches are in the order that they're in? It's going to be a revelation for some of you. It's a deep, deep spiritual truth. Are you ready? It has nothing to do with the time periods of history. It's the order that the mailman would walk in to deliver the messages to the seven churches. It goes in a circle route because that's the road you would take to get the message to each of the churches. Pretty spiritual, huh? Am I rattling a few cages here tonight a little bit? I really hope you'll go back and listen to this again because I'm giving you so many things that that you might want to think about. And if I don't have it quite right on everything, well, Jesus will help me and you'll help me, right? But I think we need to think about it. Another lens we use, sometimes we super spiritualize the symbols. Sometimes we get excessively literal with the symbols. Now, you've probably never heard of 666 before. I could tell by the reaction here, nobody's ever heard of that. 
So let me explain. <laughs> There's this passage in the Bible that talks about 666 and how, how it's a, a mark that will go on the right hand or the forehead. People won't be able to buy or sell without the mark, etc. Et now I was, this was the 1980s, and I was still a young man reading all of the popular books, trying to figure out the end times. And I read a book and they had this new invention, young people get this, universal product codes. These little bar things they put on packages. You got all these little bars and the two bars at the end are a six and then there's the two longer bars in the middle is a six and then the two bars at the other end is a six. Six, 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 we're all gonna die. Every time you, you go to the supermarket, mark of the beast. And now we've gotten more advanced. Now not only do we have this little scanner where the mark of the beast slides across, but now you can slide your own beast. And in fact, you can get out the gun if you go down to Home Depot and you can shoot the beast yourself. You Those of you who've been through the checkout know exactly what I mean. They give you your own gun. Pretty exciting. I thought for sure Jesus is coming because of universal product codes. We're swiping the beast, we're shooting the beast. I mean, you know, it, it's, just, it's all over the place. Whoo, mercy. You're laughing, but you're really afraid you're gonna get a computer chip in your hand or your forehead. So do you mean to tell me that Jesus could not have come before we invented computers? Is that what you're telling me? Not sure that I can go along with that. If Jesus can come at any time, we don't need for computers to catch up. You know when Jesus is coming? When he's good and ready to come. When the Father says it's time to come. I hear sometimes people who, who they get on TV and they talk about all the secret codes in the Bible and if you put in all the words of the Bible that all the numbers add up to such and such and such and such and you can have secret codes. I got news for you. I'm just trying to handle thou shalt not. When it says thou shalt not steal, I just want to do that. Not steal, that is. Secret codes, sorry, I just can't deal with that. Because you're suggesting that people couldn't understand the Bible until we had computers to solve the codes. And I, I just can't go there, folks. I just can't. Back to 666, because that's such a fun topic. Can I just give you a tentative suggestion about what maybe that might be all about? Here we go. In the Greek text, it does not say that it is a man's number. It says it is man's number. In other words, it doesn't say male as in a male person number. It says it is the number of humanity. 666 is always short of 777. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is a symbol for man in his fallenness, in his humanity and rebellion against God, never able through his own efforts to live up to the holy and perfect standard of God. It's man's number. Just a suggestion. 
a different way to think about it. Let me give you my last one. Why did he not come back on cue? Because of the failure to consider the original recipients of the biblical message. That the message was spoken to people 2,000 years ago. And it had to have an application for them too. It had to have an application for them too. And Jesus told the disciples in Mark 13, they're at the temple and they're observing the temple and all of these things. And, and Jesus says, do you see all these great things? They're all coming down. And they said, when? When is this going to happen? And then Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I'm he. And there's going to be false Christ. To who? Who's going to do? At the time of the disciples. They'll lead many astray, but when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. How's that usually read? Wars and rumors of war. It's the end. Jesus says it's not the end. Verse 8 here, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be earthquakes in various places. There's going to be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains, not the end. These are the beginning. In other words, church, the earth and humanity, since Jesus was first here, is going to be moving toward the end. And the earth, it tells us in Romans 8, even creation is groaning and crying out for new creation to come. There's always been these wars and they're going to continue right to the end. And Jesus says when somebody comes along and points to those signs and they say, oh, I'm the Messiah because look at the earthquakes. He says, don't believe them because there's going to be earthquakes right to the end. These are all part of us moving toward the end, but they are not meant to predict the time when the end will come. They characterize this last age. They don't tell us the date of Jesus' return. We've got to keep that straight. So many things in the text here we should look at. How about the 40 years though? This generation, what happened with that 40 years, Pastor Brian? Well, one way to read it in the Greek text is uh, this generation will not pass away until all these things begin to take place. In other words, the generation of Jesus' day, 40 years. He said these, these things in this text are going to start to happen. What happened? 40 years after Jesus said that, the temple was destroyed just as he predicted. 40 years, right on cue. It was the beginning of moving into the last stage of history. It was fulfilled just as Jesus said. He was right. Now what people do is say, well, 1948, 88, maybe a generation's 100 years, and now they're predicting more dates. It's like we never learn. But if we just take time to look at the biblical text, you know, there's, there's just good explanations. Church, I want you to hear my heart tonight. I am not cynical about the return of Jesus. I am passionate that he is coming back. But I'm equally passionate that I do not want the church to be misrepresented. And I don't want us to get off track going into things where we don't belong. Predicting dates. And so to conclude this today, I just have one more point. And the, and the worship team is coming. What are the consequences of predicting when he will come back? 
What happens when we do that? What happens when we set dates? And I just want to share this with you. False predictions cause believers to become cynical, resulting in the loss of passion for Christ's coming, devotion to his mission, and purity in living. You know what happens? It's like I'm a, I'm a young person, I'm in my 20s, and I'm coming to the point where I'm recognizing that it's just not happening the way that I was told it was going to happen. And what do you do next? Well, I guess Jesus isn't coming back. I guess the Bible isn't true. And you get an attitude and you don't look forward to Jesus coming anymore. I don't want that to happen to you. And that's what happens when there's false predictions again and again. People get cynical and they say, well, the preacher said the other day that Jesus was going to come by now. And I just want you to know, church, I don't want you to have that attitude. So just avoid the whole predicting of time thing. And let's just look for Jesus and keep our eyes on him so that we don't get a bad attitude about the blessed hope, the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's keep our focus on him. Amen. Jesus warns us. He says, some of you, be careful. You're going to start to say, the master delays his coming. And you're going to start to abuse people. You're going to start to eat and drink with the drunkards. You're going to start partying because you lost your hope and you, and you just thought that if you could just go back to living your life. But be warned, he's not delaying his coming. He's going to come right on the Father's time, I assure you. And we got to make sure that we keep busy, as the King James says, occupy till Jesus comes, that we've got to keep working. I don't want you to have a bad attitude. I want you, if you have been one of those persons like me that you've heard all of this stuff and it hasn't panned out, I want you to just drop that for a minute and say, yes, Jesus is coming and I need to be ready and I'm going to be ready. Hallelujah. I'm not giving up my hope because I was taught some bad things. But it produces that cynicism if we're not careful. The Bible says that scoffers will come along and say, where's the promise of his coming? As it is, some people already say, well, you said Jesus was coming and he hasn't come yet. They don't need more help with us giving them fuel for the fire by saying things that aren't right. That just fuels that fire. But we've got to be careful about our attitudes. Not having this attitude of where is the promise of his coming, but rather looking forward to his coming. Finally, second and very important also result of bad predictions is false predictions result in the church's loss of credibility and the gospel is hindered. Listen, you can only tell the world so many times about the different things that indicate the time that Jesus is coming and they get smart and they go yeah you told me that 30 years ago too let's keep the message simple Jesus is coming and you need to be ready Jesus is coming and you need to have your life right with God Jesus is coming and it's time for us to live pure Jesus is coming and it's time for us to win somebody to Jesus this is the attitude that I want to have, and I'm not going to allow predictions I've heard and all that to rob me of my hope and of my mission for Jesus. I'm going to keep my joy. Hallelujah.